Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're going to be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're going to hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way, along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener, like chapters of a great book. Each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. Nice boy. He's great. How old do you think he is? 19. 20. Uh, he's got the heart of a of a of a, a of a baby boomer. That's all right. Yeah. It's terrifying. But these Gen Zs, they uh Is that what that is? What? What's Gen Z? Gen Z's like uh after 2000? Uh, something like that, yeah. Fuck, can you imagine like that kid like going to fight in Vietnam? You know, like the world is just so different, no. dude. You know, that no, kid no. going to fight World War Two. No, no, no. He can you like I mean? put on like his VR set That's and like saying, fight in Vietnam, which is sick. But like, I don't know, we just had this big philosophical discussion about it the other night. It was like it's like a work thing, but people just want to work under like such specific guidelines and like you know such. I don't know. It's almost like they're all like aristocrats or something. You know, it's like, oh, like I'll do what? You know, like my homegirl was looking for a, a, a set of hands on the on her photo shoot today. I paid like three hundred bucks for like two hours, and she was like having a hard time finding people because they were like, what's well, on my day rate or like whatever the fuck it is. And you're like, dude, three hundred dollars for two hours worth of work? Cash. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Cash. I was like, do you like need me to do it? Because like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I don't I just don't understand the mentality, you know. I think everyone's just trying to skip all the steps. Everyone's trying to skip all the steps. That's why I, I love him. Yeah. And my other my other agent, he's twenty five. Okay. And the two of them they're just grinding fucking hungry. Yeah, and that's what you have to be, you know? Like he just like yesterday, um my boy uh who owns Seelman Stable, mm-hmm. he had a drop on Friday. So he had like six hundred uh uh, orders fulfilled yesterday yeah christians at his office packing and fantastic. shipping fantastic yeah. yeah that's what you have to be i mean you have to see it all and i just worry that these kids are gonna they're gonna miss big stuff you know life stuff stuff you have to see and then you try to like take this route because but have to see to us versus have to see to no, them i don't i disagree no, no, but they don't. They'll never understand why it's a have to see. But that's, but they, that's the problem. What right? they have to see is in their phone. But it's not. It's not always going to be that way, and you're going to run into a lot of people. That's not their world. I mean, it's it's like completely, in my opinion, it's like sequestered to like major cities and things like that. But like, I live in Jersey now. I live 45 minutes from here, and I'm telling you right now, you would think that you were in Nebraska. Right, and everybody there probably thinks that people who go to New York City are this like large, not larger than life person, but it's just not, it's not normal. Like you go dude, all the way to New York dude, City. they live two hours outside the city because I work in Manasquan now. It's, you know, it's an hour and a half really from New York. And there's people, you know, these like high school chicks that, you know, serve or whatever, and uh, they've like never been. Right, and like and if you, uh, if you like blindfolded like, someone and you just drop them there, You'd think that they think that they were in middle America. They have no idea. You have, they have no idea. It's really, it's it's wild, but it's scary because life still happens. Do you think that there, I mean, it's hard to imagine that there's going to be a positive direction that this goes. 
Mm. Looking at the last 20 years. No, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right, but how is it going to get better? Oh, there has to has to get worse. You know, you you know, you listen to a lot of podcasts and you listen to some like progressive thinkers and things like that and you know, um there's a few quotes that I think are ring really true. It's like, you know, um, you know, my grandfather walked to work 10 miles a day. His son drove, you know, a Pontiac. His son drove a Cadillac and the great-grandson drove a Ferrari. And then his son was walking again. You know, or like, you know, um, tough times create strong men and strong men create good times and good times create weak men and weak men create bad times. And the cycle starts over again. And, you know, like this sweet, sweet boy right here, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. You got some M&Ms too? Oh man, you're a keeper. Two Lacroix and a Crippa M&M's. Thank you so much. Very thoughtful. Thank you. Um, but, you know, those are those are things that, you know, I think it's like every generation, even the generations before me, like I'm 40, so I'm not that old, but I feel worldly and I've seen, I think I've seen a lot of life, you know? But like I have more in common with a 60, 60 year old by far than I do with him by miles, millions of miles. Well, but they have more in common with me. Right. And they're, you're, you're the way that, you know, he's brought up is so different and so removed from any generation that has come before. Of course. To the point where it's like, even if it's like, Oh, well, you know, I rode a horse and now we have a car or now we have, you know, you can turn lights on in the house or something like that. Like all of those things are great leaps in, in human civilization. And I'm not that smart. These are just what I think. But like there's nothing like having something in your pocket that have access to all the information that was ever collected in the entire world. And that is something that is so unappreciated. Yeah. And the reason that places like Harvard were built. Well, think um, about it. Like right now there's companies let's talk let's say apple google whatever it is there's hundreds of companies not thousands who right now are working on life automations they're working on taking what you're just talking about the, the phone in your pocket to be the most fantastic piece of machinery that might be the most underappreciated piece of machinery and they're only working to make it that much more advanced um yeah which is all which is all cool i mean like i'm 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 into like being able to get music whenever i want it and things like that but i think there's there's important right but the music whenever you want it it's been around now for almost 20 years there you go you know yeah i remember downloading tons of viruses on on napster you know um and i but i also remember listening to the radio with the cassette tape and like waiting to press record like when the track came on yep and that was like the most fire and i remember like that anticipation I can picture that because you don't because you don't know when it's going to hit and you don't have access to it and you're like a little kid and you don't have any money and you can't go buy it you know so it was like you know you you miss all that stuff there's things that I think generationally that are so important that part of the human condition that for all this automation and all this advancement of technology you just kind of fucking skip around it you know, and like I enjoy the journey, right? Like I love like waiting. I used to love like waiting for an album to drop. 
because that's fucking dope. You're like, yo, the Nas, new Nas is coming out in three weeks. And you're like, yes. Uh. Like, what's that? You know? And now it's like, oh, I just like that song. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get that song. I don't have to get the whole album. I don't have to support in that way. I just get this one track that I like. I was also thinking about this just yesterday. There's no real buildup for new albums dropping. There's no buildup for anything. There's no buildup for there's new no, albums there's dropping. There's no anticipation for anything. Like the new Nas album came out and King's Disease too. As a Nas fan, I didn't even know about this until days, if not a couple weeks later. This album sounds like it's from 96. No, it's fire. Um, yeah. It really is. King Disease wanted in love, and Nas is tough for me because these guys had some really, really whack albums. But, you know, I think he had a mental breakdown. And he had some other things that were going on in his life. But, yeah, there's no anticipation. There's no excitement, you know? There's like, you know. But you still put him in the top five to ten of all time. Nas? Yeah. Oh, you want to go and talk about rap? Well, you know, just not specifically. You got to put him in the top five. Um, Nas, for me, I put him in the top ten. He's in my top five. I put Illmatic. Every, I put Illmatic is. I put Illmatic is top five rap albums of all time. Absolutely. I put Nas in my top ten, but I can think of a lot of different rappers and like hip hop people that I might put above him, whether it's stylistically that I like more, and like maybe their body of work I enjoy more or listening to them. You know, Big Nas, Jay, I think are special because of our age. Of our age, yeah, and also like you're growing up '90s hip hop, East Coast for me is the is the the up, you know. Jada, but also think about Jada like, like popping a, a CD in the car. Oh in yeah, the, in the late '90s. Oh, there's all that that goes along with it. But like, I just think they're the best a because of you know who they work with, but they're also the easiest to listen to. Like I listen. And that's to, a big part. I listen to Eminem like once, and I used to love M, like. I mean, I'm a white kid from New Hampshire, so like that speaks to my soul. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just like, it was awesome. Like the first album was just like so raw and like Marshall Mathers you know, LP. And, well, um, that's the second. Slim Shady LP was the first. Oh right, right. But Marshall Mathers was much more polished and like the next level, and his rhyming only got better. But I listened to like two songs, and I was like, dude, I can't listen to this anymore. It was so high frequency. It was so like. This is in, any this, Eminem, or you're talking about the Slim Shady LP? Oh no, this. I mean, for me, it's any Eminem. It's like I have two CDs in my car right now. Fifteen minutes of it. Slim Shady LP and uh, that Fire Mob Deep album. Uh, Hell on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is great, but listen, I can listen to that. Uh, for me personally, it's just that where their sound range hits. For me, I can listen to like I listen to Big like all day. His body of work is so small, but like for me, he's the best. I mean, yeah. Oh, dude. Do you listen to any of the of the new younger rappers? Fuck no, it's not rap. It's Have like, you ever listened to Corday? No, I mean, I just there's a lot of people that I listen. I'm gonna tell you right now, there are big holes in my game as far as new shit. I listen to I listen to more underground, like when it comes to like newer stuff. I think probably. Um, well, your entire your whole library is predominantly pre two thousand. No, I don't. No, definitely not pre two thousand five. A lot. <laughs> no, of no. Because I, I know you're a fish or deadhead. I listen to a lot of dead. I don't love. I don't love fish. God but bless. I, I love. I love. I. I think I respect Trey and think they're a great band and they can groove, but they get a little too glacial for me. And um, and I like Trey a lot. He's in another band that I love called Oysterhead. Which is a like a one-off album, and it's um, less Claypool from Primus, 
um, uh, Stuart Copeland from the police on drums and Trey on guitar. And they made one album. It's called the Oysterhead, but it's like that sounds like the 2003 fucking, Lakers. Yeah, dude, it's banger. Yeah, it's an all-star team for sure, and it's just a banger collab, one album, but it's really cool. But yeah, I, but I love the Dead. I think they're top five American bands for sure. Dead, for sure. Oh, their bo- their body of work is is extraordinary. Top five American bands of all time. Easy. I mean, and I also love uh, the fact that Robert Hunter, who was like their lyricist, you know, was like technically like part of the band, but like. You know, all the lyrics are written by a guy just like kind of on the outside, which they, is I thought was, that was really people cool. would. I mean, there's arguments for them being one and one or two. Um, yeah, I, I think I mean, listen, I think when you get into top, which I think is funny, top 10 anything lists. Right. You're you're having a conversation about personal preference. Right? Like, well, golf, the, the like whole, golf courses. This whole thing is personal preference. Yeah, but I think there's other things that can make it, you know, more true. Standing the test of time. Exactly. You know. And I always try to relate things to other things that I know well. I know golf. I know food. I know music. So when I think of you know X Y Z golf course or whatever, you're like, well, yeah, National is fire because it's like, a it's it's time capsule, but like the architecture is like undeniable. You know, like it holds up forever, and it's the most fun to play. So it's like, is that your favorite? Like maybe I don't know, but it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> so you know, if you're talking about top ten. It's in the conversation. Like Nas is in the conversation, but like I, I take Black Thought over Nas. You know, Black Black Thought from the Roots. I think is like the most fire. You know, like I don't know if that's right or if that's wrong. You know, but like I'd listen to him. Did over. he do any solo? Any any solo stuff? I think he did some solo stuff, but like the Roots is my shit. You know, like Do You Want More is like the album. You know, so. You know, but I think Illmatic is, you know, top five for me, my favorite al- rap albums, just because it's like it's a 17 year old kid, like on a park bench talking about life and it, you know, and it hits so hard, you know, and that's, but that's why Big is my number one, because it's the same thing. It's like this young dude, like from Brooklyn, shout out Brooklyn, um, but like just was on a different level lyrically, but like storytelling and like, you know, his, his, his ability to like portray an image, like whether it be physically or like with his music and like just fire, you know? And like, I don't know, Ready to Die is fantastic, but like Life After Death, like two album and you cut out the, you cut out the, you know, the little intro and you cut out the little in-between gimmicky like kind of stuff and yeah, dude. And just yeah, like but play like it. skits were uh, it was a big deal. Skits were a thing. Yeah, dude. Slim Shady LP. You know, like. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Slim Shady <laughs> LP. It's literally one after the next. Yeah. You know, but it's like you cut if you just cut all that shit out, and you just listen to it as like a body of work, like untouchable. You know, for me. Notorious Thugs, um, is probably my top ten favorite uh, rap songs of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's like. I mean, I don't know, like, Today's Agenda, Got the Suitcase Up in the Centro, like, that is just, like, and you, you can hear it. You can hear the rain falling, you know, it's like a drug deal gone bad. And I'm, like, 13-year-old kid in New Hampshire, and I'm literally just, like, <laughs> and, like visioning, like, what that is, you know? And that's how powerful it is. Like, it can literally move you into, you know, this, this like, state of consciousness where you're like, dude, this guy's on some other shit, man. Like, he's literally talking 
about things that I know nothing about. I wonder if there's... And it makes me... And it's so enticing and yeah. it's so exciting and it's wordplay and it's delivery. And I wonder if there's a book that kind of explains the lyrics. So, you know, Jay-Z decoded. <laughs> yeah. Have you read it? No, but... So I read it and then throughout the book, there's probably 25, 35 songs where it has the lyrics. And why and how. And then on the right side, about 10, 10 lines from the song... And it gives you a, almost a full paragraph explaining that line, which I which it's I really fucking awesome, which I really like and get into. I like there to be a little air of mystery. I like just being able to like, after living in Brooklyn for a long time, like you just you know you, if you hear rumors in New Hampshire or Connecticut or Florida or wherever I lived, you know, like how things went down, you know, there's some possible truth to it because like rumors are rumors for a reason, you know. But when you like live a mile away from where this guy grew up and like. You know, the dishwasher is the 60 year old black dude, and he's talking about like how he grew up in Crown Heights and like talking about these things. And you're like, oh, for real? Like, oh, shit. That's how it went down. You know, like kicking the door is like all based off of Nas. And and that song is about Nas, um, which I think is really, really interesting because you don't, you don't understand it. It could just be like insert X person, you know, or like him robbing like that basketball player because he was sleeping with his chick and the dude came home, came home early. And he literally like formulates how he gets out of there and gets the bag and bangs the dude's chick. And that was like really about a basketball player, a guy who played for the Knicks. I got to. And it's really and it's really interesting because I got to like, throw this on when I get in the car oh, later. Dude, Life After Death is just the most fire. I'm, I mean, I got to talk about music all day. It's right. But big thing with me is I'm about the production value and mm -hmm. the beats. I a lot gets lost in translation with me with lyrics. Yeah. Because I'm more about and you when you mentioned the roots, like I'm more about being able to just like groove. I'm more about being able to just bounce to it. Yeah. And lyrics a lot of the times go over my head. Yeah. Because I'm just like lost in the rhythm. Which is, you know, totally reasonable. And that's what makes music great, right? It's like some people eat food as sustenance and some people eat food for, you know, the the um, artistic nature of it or the excitement of it and another of which are, are incorrect you know just kind of how you view it i mean of course you need the beat to to knock for sure and i thought that was a big miss on i mean i love like rock him is so nice you know like so nice but i always hated his production like, i thought his production was whack you know like even some of the wu-tang shit that's fire like if you put that like i'm a huge premiere guy like my, you know, mo the most simple, like to the point, like literally two turntables. DJ all, Premier? Yeah. All that KRS-One stuff he did back in the day. Like that's like, for me, is like the best, you know? Although I saw, it was funny, watching the Grammys, I saw DJ Jazzy Jeff shut a fucking club down. Yeah? Like you've never, like, watch. you've never seen. No, he was just on the Grammys, but it made me oh, think gotcha. about a night that I saw him perform. And uh, like two hours set. And like, dude, I was like doing a bunch of drugs. And like smoking. actually DJing. No, he was DJing yeah. on like turntables. And I was doing a ton of drugs and smoking a lot of cigarettes at the time. And like, we did not step outside. You know, it was just like unbelievable. Where was this? This was at a place called The Venue in Tampa. And we had um, Puffy's party for the Super Bowl. So it was three nights. Um, it was um, Deion Sanders. Left Hook Lacey, who's a, a boxer from, from Tampa, and then Puffy. And um, 
it was crazy because you know puppy apparently throws like the greatest parties in the history of, of celebrities and i was a line cook at this little restaurant in there um but had a six sushi bar with like a master sushi guy who works for morimoto now this dude ichiro shout out ichiro he probably spent goat. the million dollars dude, or his more rider, on this party his rider his rider was like crazy like i need 20 cases of this that's when ciroc he had just started ciroc and he was like, I need 20 cases of this, 20 cases of Grey Goose, 20 cases of Belvedere. Like his rider was like, you know, he's the kind of guy that's like, dude, every M&M in that thing has got to be brown. Yeah. Like someone pick him out. You know, like I want this man, I want 5,000 brown M&Ms. And you say yes, because it's puffy, you know, yeah. but that party was fucking crazy. And it was put on, the second night it was put on by Moves Magazine, which is like the NFL's, like for the players magazine. It doesn't okay. go on the streets. It's just for like. It's in your locker when you show up. It kind of like health stuff or lifestyle. No, no, it, no. It was like guitar. It was like not guitars. It was like cars and chains and lifestyle like, stuff. Lifestyle stuff. You know, it's it. just like you know, um, but they were portraying. So the whole front of the, the whole front of the the this big twenty five thousand square foot two restaurant. This is what two thousand two nine two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine probably. Um, maybe a little bit earlier. Maybe it's two thousand seven. I don't know. I got to look into that. 2007, I, I want to say. It's all starting to blend together. 2007 was, uh, I think, a Bears monsoon Super Bowl. Was that This Tampa? was in Tampa. No, this was in Tampa. It was perfect. No, I think that was in Miami. Uh, might so have it might Miami. have been 2009. 2009. We'll say 2009. We'll Google it. Um, we can fact check that. But uh, it was just like Lambos and like all this crazy shit. And the place was insane. It's like 25,000 square feet. Like Pierre Jouet room. Um, like multiple restaurants, like 15 bars and no one in charge. I mean, it just like melted money. Like you wouldn't believe like just a group of investors. And then there was like 20 managers. And like, we were fucking stealing bottles of Grand Marnier every day. Shout out Rosie. Um, we were just like, you know, there's no one in charge. It was like, an, it was like an insane asylum. And we were just doing whatever the fuck we wanted. But there's videos of like some of the managers hopping in these Lambos at like four o'clock in the morning, like <laughs> ripping donuts in the fucking parking lot. And then like they, grabbing keys from the valet, you know, like grabbing keys from the valet. Like, dude, there was no one in charge. Like, everyone was doing blow. Like it was insane. But when we had, um, you want to know what? 14 years later with Instagram and you know, all that, dude, I don't know. Everyone's going to prison. Yeah. Everyone's going to jail. When the valets got overwhelmed, they literally came in the kitchen and they were like, yo, can anyone like drive stick? And I was like, dude, I can drive anything. And they were just handing us keys. And yo, so the the the, the property was right at the end of the Howard Franklin Bridge, which connects Tampa and St. Petersburg. So they were parking the cars at a That's a, where uh Tampa the lightning play right there, right? That's at the other end of it. Got it, yeah. So if you come off the the Howard Franklin Bridge, is the big bridge, you're right in downtown Tampa. Right on the water. Yeah. And if you go yeah. this way, you're on your way to St. Petersburg. It's like the peninsula. That's the bridge that connects them. So everyone was taking rights, going down to the parking lot where the valleys would go follow us. And me and Rosie were like banging a left, dude, doing 150 down the Howard Franklin, <laughs> pulling a U-turn, doing 150 miles an hour back oh and like dropping God. the cars off. Dude, it was amazing. I mean, we had the most fun. Right. But anyway, I get long-winded. But yeah, the puppy party, was, puppy party was unbelievable. But DJ Jazzy Jeff just like melted the place, melted the place. And I was like, yo, this is like hip hop at its finest. Because you think Will Smith, he's like pussy, like whatever, you know? Yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff, like whatever. And then I'll tell you, Will Smith wouldn't have slapped anybody but Chris Rock. I mean, if it was like a heavy hitter, he would have <laughs> sat in his fucking seat. But 
you know, <laughs> for real. It's a good point. No, for real, dude. You wouldn't have seen fake or not fake. I'm going to segue, too, because I saw a clip of a very famous movie that came out in the 60s with that exact same scene. Identical. So I don't know if it's real or not, but I do know that he's, you know, hurting for cash. The movie industry is really hurting for cash. And the Oscars seem like uh, an afterthought in a way that I thought was really, really interesting. But, uh, yeah, DJ Jazzy Jeff, man, shut it down. But I always love two turntables, full circle, premiere is my guy. And I just loved all of that. Um that East Coast, that East Coast hip hop that he produced. Um, you know, there's some other guys that did it great too, but for me, that was like, like that that infamous track. Like that's from here. Like you literally hear like the you know just the, the the needle on the record, and it's just like that's like for me is like the pantheon, like the top 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 top, because it's so straightforward. But the beats knock, you know, it's instant. You know, in Eminem, like Eight Mile, it's like the it's just like you can hear it in your head, I, and it's just like and it's like the greatest, you know, one of the greatest beats of all time. But that's you know that's premiere. So that's the that's my wheelhouse. Um, all right. I like a lot of other stuff, but that's my shit. All right, so that's how you feel about hip hop. <laughs> no, that's like one percent of how I feel about hip hop. That's point five percent how you feel <laughs> yeah, about hip hop. Sure. Um, all right. We're a little deep into it right now, but um, I'm probably going to throw in, I probably threw an intro that I'm going to go over at the beginning of this that will uh, splice in. But let me just throw it out there right now. I'm with Brian Nori. Yeah. I'm with Brian Nori, who is father, world traveler, uh, semi pro golfer. Not even close, but enjoy the game. Connoisseur of all things luxurious I'm absolutely untrue i'm a cook <laughs> all right he's a cook he's a cook <laughs> i've just been and he eats well i eat well and i've been fortunate to be uh in some rooms that i have no business being in so i was able to, to somehow did one does one room lead to the other always always so always. tell me to start it off it well, led me to this room led you to this room yeah what are you doing right now not this second but Life in life, work. Um, Where are you? Work. Well, right now I'm doing I'm I'm doing full on dad stuff. So that's my number one as a as a new father yourself. And we talked about this in the restaurant how uh, life changing was going to be, and it only gets better, dude. Like this is every every piece of it is is better than the piece before. Tell us about your son, Drew Andrew Andrew Leonard Nori. So adorable, um, toot monster, cuck a butt. Um, he's an angel, man. He's the He's the most incredible thing in the world. Um, he's the sweetest and the most gentle, the funniest, and like the smartest. I mean, he knows like 50 dinosaur names. He's like Diplodocus. I'm like, what the fuck is a Diplodocus? Like, is he a handicapped golfer yet? No. We're trying to get we're trying to get a stick in his hand, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't catch like that. It hasn't caught like that. And I'm really not pushing the agenda, but like, you know. We're just trying to put everything in his hand and like hype him up when he does it the right way. And if but also him and not to cut you off, but him oh, being on the green with you oh, and watching it, it's, it's you know, his his brain is is uh developing the, the process for sure. I took him out when he was everything. a baby baby, like literally just pushing him like in a stroller on the golf cart <laughs> with a bag on my back. Um, because it's a passion of mine and something that I love like deeply and I'm so happy I, I found it, even though I found it later in life. Um, 
it's just the most amazing amazing sport amazing game the game of life really but yeah i i make a an attempt to to take him out as, as much as possible it's a little bit different a little bit difficult um obviously seasonally um, but mini golf is our thing so i take him you know we do putt putt that's what's up and he he loves it but um yeah i'm just trying to put everything as much as you can in front of him kind of let him pick and choose his spots and just like reward um reward him for doing you know what he's supposed to be doing um you know he just started playing basketball a little bit trying to get him to catch a little bit okay so and how old is he now two and a half two and a half yeah he's like the size of like a five-year-old he's like 42 pounds yeah he's he's Brolic, dude. What is that person? I, I you it know, means he's Seymour is six six months means, old, so I know it's done percentage wise. I mean, he's just hundred percent. He's like the size of a four year old, a five year old. He goes to karate classes with like other kids, and I was like, yo, okay, because he's you know he's a baby, you know, he's like doesn't he's not even potty trained yet. Like we're working on that now, but it's like he was hanging out with this other kid, and the other kid was like, I was like, oh, you know, like oh, you know, Dimitri's five, and I was like, oh, Drew's fucking two. And she was like, he's two? And I was like, yeah, dude, he's huge, you know? Yeah. I started smoking cigs in sixth grade, and I have a feeling I was supposed to be like three inches taller. But he's, uh, no, he's the, mo- he's the most special. He brings so much joy um, and light. I, yeah. I and thought love. that was like a myth. Like, you know, you smoke cigarettes when you're younger, you start lifting weights when you're younger, you're going to stunt your growth. I, I, hold, I thought the whole stunting your growth thing that they said to us when we were younger was just to detour us from doing things that were cool. No, I definitely, well, for the record, smoking cigarettes is not cool. I I've actually really, never smoked a cigarette in my life. Good for you. I'd, 37 years old. I'd smoked a ton, a lot of late nights. But, um, yeah, that shit's gross. But, um, no, it's it's real. But he, my grandmother's brothers, who I never met because they died very, very young of lung cancer and cirrhosis of the liver. Like none of them made it past like fifty five, and they were Nordic, like six 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 eight, like French, like French Canadians. Like oh huge wow, huge men, French Canadian, like Andre the Giant. Men. Yeah, like Andre the Giant. Yeah, which is terrifying. But I, he's big, man. I mean, if he is two and a half the size Dude, of a five year old, he's this big. He's this big. He weighs forty two pounds, That's which awesome. is which. No, it's amazing. I mean, he's broad shoulders and like he's just healthy. Does you he know? eat a lot? He doesn't need anything. He stopped. He totally went off the rails. He, dude, chicken fingers, French fries, some avocado. But I like that he likes avo. Me too. Me too. But you know, he's super picky, and sometimes, you know, he'd be like, "I hate meatballs." You're like, "Dude, you love meatballs. You had meatballs yesterday." You well, let me ask I you. Like. Here we go. I not like. So with him being a picky eater, he's only yeah. two and a half. Yeah. What's your? Uh, what do you think you're gonna do if he continues to picky eating as he gets older? I mean, I guess the. I don't know. That's parenting, right? Yeah. No, I have no answers. Um, you just trust your gut and you try to put things in front of them that you know are the right things. And that's it. Put in front but of I'm them, also, but also the way that you deliver the the why. You deliver the why this is good. You know, sure. where you're, you're, at well, Passover, you're at Passover dinner, everyone's eating matzo ball soup. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't like matzo ball soup. It's like your whole family is here eating matzo ball soup. Yeah. You've never tried it. Trust me, we're all eating it. You're going to like it. Well, have that conversation with a three-year-old and let me know how that goes. <laughs> how about a six-year-old? Hopefully better. Yeah. Hopefully better, you know, but then there's this, and there's every dude, they're all different, man. It's like you're trying to paint this, you know, <laughs> you're trying to paint a painting with like a giant brush. And you're yep. like, no, dude, this shit is layered intricate you know so you know there's this also this you know they find these independent streaks and they find this like i don't want to do this but i want to do that but i'm like yo you still like 
pee in your diaper. So, like, how big of a boy are you? Is you everything know? you're saying uh, umbrella under terrible twos? No, I mean, dude, if this is terrible twos, I think you know we're we're just really lucky. Like, <laughs> it's just terrible twos. No, shit, no, he's give the, me terrible twos all yeah, day. He's the fucking best, dude. He's the most. And you know, teachers and everyone, you know, they always kind of like, oh, we, you know, his teachers love true. You know, that's like what's up. Our nanny. I mean, he's fucking adorable. He's thank you, but his personality, dude. He's like the sweetest fucking thing, you know. And he's so into. I got him a telescope for Christmas. Set up the telescope. You know, so he's two. So he's like, yo, is it done yet? And I'm like, dude, I got to put the legs on. He's like, my turn. I'm like, right, it's like my turn. Uh, my turn. And I'm like, dude, like, can you give me my turn? Like, he's just so uh, into it. And then when we finally got the thing fired up, you know, he was so excited looking at the moon. I love that. You know, I love, I love, I love the moon. and, and the When sun. you show him the moon, are you like explaining to him what he's looking at? Yeah, of course. I'm like, dude, yeah. these are celestial bodies that are like, and I try to use like big words, you know, I don't, I don't dumb it down for him and I'm not smart even graduate high school but i can retain information and i just try to parrot what i see and you know i think i have a, a, an ability to to judge and have a, a really good eye and a really good ear so whatever i take as being lore like until something else comes along that is either disrupts you know my lexicon or my way of thinking like that is what it is and I just try to just take that and just point it right at him. So when we talk about the moon, we talk about, you know, whether it be how it got there, why it's there, you know, the, the, the chase, um, the reason that, you know, we look up and the reason the telescope was, you know, all in, you know, it's, it's phase one, but all of those things are really interesting to me. And it's amazing because you're, now I'm, I'm like looking and learning and reading why, you know, magnification and how they turn into a microscope and how they find bacteria and like the whys and the hows. You're and saying you're path. now learning yourself and you're, and now you're trying to impart any, I guess you're, you're trying to figure out the best way to now deliver it to him without dumbing it down. No, definitely not. No, not, dumb, not no. dumbing it down, but kind of making it understandable. Palatable for two Palatable. But you, would you, you know, I'm not an expert, but you kind of have, you get the idea as you yep. go along, you know, what he's into and what he's not. But even if I just put it in his ear, like, dude, they are sponges, man. He, lot, yeah. he, he knows everything that's going on. Well, them being sponges goes hand in hand with why, you know, his teachers love him because you probably smile, always smile at him. Oh, yeah. You like, they're, you're, it's a mirror. Oh, and for sure. we smile. Every morning I go in there, I look down at the crib and I say, Good morning. Yeah, for sure. And I'll fucking sing to him in the oh, morning. It's the best. I'll make up tunes and it's I'll sing best. to him. It's the best. And I'll I'll make these rhymes while he's just staring at me with this big smile on his face and I'm smiling back at him. And that's how he starts his day. That's the best. And that connection, like, dude, I'm telling you, it only gets better, man. And the things that you think, you know, you're like, I don't know, because when he was an infant, it's like the best because you're like literally just protecting this thing that can't do anything for itself and that in itself is the most incredible feeling but now he's like two and a half dude so like my boy tommy amazing guitar player um he taught me to play guitar when i was in connecticut but now his his chick goes um is like going for a phd at columbia she's like brilliant righty or lefty master he is a lefty i am a righty so how'd that go well i got him like this lug this little lug guitar um and i try to get him to play it but he doesn't really he's not really into it you know are you talking um, about Drew? Drew is a lefty. Tommy is a righty. Got it. Tommy plays guitar. We play guitar together. 
but he'd show me how to play like Dave songs so I could like try to pick up chicks, you know. Um, but this is like almost twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and I've been playing basically every day since. So now we can really play. You've played Ants Marching like a billion times. Like a billion times. Um, but like Deep Cuts, The Stone, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, like the, the deep stuff. And Dave is an amazing guitar player and like so unique and mm-hmm. like the hows and the whys. But I try to get, you know, I've gotten Drew a couple guitars, a couple drum things here and there. And he doesn't really hit on it hard, you know? There's nothing he really hits on hard besides like dinosaurs and trucks, right? Mind you, we're, we're not talking about a five-year-old. No, we're talking about a two-year-old. Right. Yeah, we're talking about a two-year-old. Yeah. So, but I try to get all these things in his in his hand. But when Tommy comes over, like we jam for like four hours on Sunday, you know, mm-hmm. um, learning new songs and just having that kind of that those kind of moments and that collaboration. Um, but he's like so engaged, you know, and like that is like the best, you know, because you're, you know, you're doing something that you love, but like, you're imparting that onto him in like the most positive way, you know. So. You know, that's that's my ethos, you know, which is hard, too, because, you know, the further you go down the road, you know, you see greatness made by some parents, Serena, Tiger. Yep. You know, like they see this natural innate gift and ability and they feel that it's, you know, their duty and their responsibility to to squeeze that as hard as they can and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't and like i don't know you know i don't know well it's also you know you take your passion i mean we could talk about um you know richard uh richard williams mm. who was a passionate tennis player for sure and then taught his girls how to play and he saw it so he just took his passion and just fucking hammered it down hammered it down for and sure created serena and venus for sure and sometimes you see it as great and other times you see it as being misguided um you know i'm just trying to do i just you just try not to get too far ahead of yourself you know but i think he's or, really, for, or force it no you can't i don't right. think you can you know well, a lot of parents will try and force it yeah we get this dude at the you know, karate terrible. class the kid's fucking two years old dude you know and it's like he's like oh you know blah 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 like sticking his head all the time and just kind of be like dude there's two instructors there these kids. But is he sticking his head into the room and like saying stuff? Yeah, of course. He's like, but exactly. But he's just like, but it's always like encouraging. But it's like, you know, this isn't your space. Am yeah, I, am and I, not for nothing for yeah. a kid, for his father doing that. Yeah. I would assume it's not good for his self-esteem. I just don't know. Exactly. But also I, I the, would kid, have, the kids, I would the kids the always looking for either like approvement or disapprovement. And, you know, but also it's weird because then you're kind of. You know, you're you're kind of chest bumping the the other two guys. Yeah, but that also something like that probably goes down to that father's father. Oh, for sure, was probably a certain way with him. For sure, for sure. Um, And again, I can't speak to any of that because I only know my I only know my experience. You know, Um, but you are super cool. Right, but psychologically, you're you're smart. And I what I mean by (laughs) what I mean by that is like you know people. You know people, and if you meet somebody and you yeah. could see the way that people are, yeah, you I can, are. I can read a room. You could read a room, and you could probably pick out nine times out of ten why someone is acting a certain way. Yeah, it's like a gift. for me, it's a gift. It's a gift and a curse. I I equate everything to parenting. Someone doesn't hold a door for me. Yeah, that's parenting. Oh, for sure. Like that stuff is ingrained. Yeah, that stuff is that stuff is ingrained, and I probably. I probably find the most frustration in life when things like that are 
I come, I'm, I'm confronted with that where you're like, you know, how could you not think of X, Y, and Z? You know, how could you, how could you be so careless with A, B, and C? You know, and um, that's where I find the most frustration when it's just like, dude, like, and then of course, like the, that the worst version of you comes out in those moments. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's just like, I instantly revert back to like street mentality kind of deal. It's like, dude, if this is any other situation, like we'd be <laughs> scrapping, <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah, and it's, it's also the time and the place for everything. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, you try to, you try to take, kind of take the high road sometimes. And I've, I've not always done that for sure. But, you know, those are, those are the moments where when you're with your kid, you know, you, you really try to show him, you know, mm-hmm. and the further you go down the road, I think the bigger those life lessons come. And honestly, I think, you know, for me, like I'm 40, dude, he's two. So I had him the same age as you, basically, you know, like you're not 25 anymore. No. So hopefully the things that you can make up for in your lack of energy. Do you think that, you can um, make up for with and your, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think that people should be at a certain point in their life when they have their first child? Well, that's a different Whether it's mentally, question. financially, what do yeah, you think? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it happens when it's supposed to happen. But, you know, I Like, say la vie, have a child. Yeah, but also, I don't know, I think about it from a lot of different angles, dude. Like, I'm a white guy who has access, you know? Mm-hmm. So, my viewpoint on it is totally yeah, different. But like, listen, I, I, you're... It's just totally different. Some people, dude, I know, I know some fucking hood ass people. I mean, that has nothing to do with race. That's just like mentality, you know, that use children as paychecks. And that's like real, like that's like super real. And that's not something that even like would ever cross my mind, you know, but that is 100% real. And, you know, the benefits of having X, Y, and Z can, can do for them. So people have kids for all kinds of reasons that are absolutely crazy. You know, I think. I wouldn't want to, I couldn't imagine it any other way. It was hard though, because, you know, we had Drew at the height of the pandemic. I mean, which is kind of crazy to even talk about, but it's like, you know, Jean was nine months pregnant. Yeah, Were you March, in the room? March 17th. Yeah, I had to go down to New Jersey. Oh, I, I remember the we story. Had to tell down, tell we the had, story. Well, we just had to go down to New Jersey. We couldn't, you know, um, I don't get too detailed, but basically we couldn't, I couldn't be in the room in New York city. And, um, it was like a very specific birth plan and all these things that went along with it. Can I say you, you went, so you went to Jersey to, to go to a specific doctor. Yeah. Uh, there was a family friend yep. who, you know, this is awesome dude. He's a gazillionaire and, you know, I don't know, like built a wing of a hospital or something, you know, like that kind of guy. Yep. And he just had it set up for us, but we were in there in a room for like, you know, like two days like locked in and they were taking my temperature every five hours. And I was like, yo, get me the fuck out of here. It's like, you're I taking it. I haven't left. Dude, this room. I was literally screaming like, yo, like I wish my fucking temperature would go to 105 <laughs> just so I can get the fuck out of here for, you know, it was, it was hard, man. It wasn't like this, you know? So I, you know, there's like COVID babies, dude. you know, we're, we're talking about a very specific, weird, um, weird part of, part of time. So, I don't know. To, to to answer your question, I think I think it all just happens when it's supposed to happen. You know, Einstein has a theory about that. And I like the, the you know, I like the detail in it. Well, 
basically, you know, and there's a lot of different theories, but, you know, the Big Bang is, you know, time, matter, and space, like, all basically becoming one in an instant, right? And if you think about that explosion and how that kind of correlates into the, the universe as we know it, but, like, basically everything was on its trajectory in time at the instant the universe became. So every particle, everything is expanding at the exact same time. So mathematically, right, everything is everything is literally happening exactly how it was supposed to be happening from the singularity, from the inception, from the birth of, of our universe. So there's, you know, that's when you're like, oh, what's free will and whatever, whatever, whatever. But like, yeah, it's a pretty interesting construct. I love it. So speaking on fate, <laughs> yeah, speaking on fate. <laughs> How and when did you decide that you were going to be a cook? Oh, cook? I, do you prefer cook or chef? I mean, I cook for a living. I mean, I think a chef is someone that you know leads a group of of, of cooks, and I think you know that kind of um, hierarchy is really really important. You know, um, it's based off like the Escoffier model for top guy, you guys, you guys, you guys, you guys, you know, like really there's the chef below the chef or the cooks. Well, two chefs, you know, so it's like, dude, general lieutenants, colonels, sergeants, infantrymen, you know, and, and your battalions or your teams of people are, are made up of that. So there's brings the structure and uniformity to it. Um, like back in the day, back in the day, you know, that's why you have like sauciers and butchers and, you know, entremets and, and vegetable people. And, Entremet well, is a vegetable person. Yeah, all any everyone had their own role. So Got it. when I started cooking, like I peeled potatoes and like plucked bird feathers, dude, like fucking old school. Because I live in New Hampshire, and these guys were literally bringing in like quails with like bird shot in them. So you have to like pick them out with tweezers. Like it was, you know, it. I was really fortunate because the guys that I had worked for when I went to actually like cook professionally at this big um, five star hotel in New Hampshire called the Mount Washington. But these guys were like at the end of their careers, you know, so like I was like young guy, you know, and these guys were, you know, in their 60s and their 70s. And they were, they, you know, some of them, you know, the Saucy had worked in like Nazi occupied France. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy, right? You know, like he was a stagiaire when he was the same age as me, you know, but he's an like, old man. dude. This is like 2001, 2002. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So like. Damn. I mean, yes, I mean. So this was like right out of. I didn't graduate high school. I right. kicked out of high school. So this is right out of high school. Um. Yeah. Well, I pretended to go to community college for a little while, and that didn't work. Um. That's a funny story. Um. Which community college did you pretend to go to? Uh, it's called Macintosh College in Dover, New Hampshire. Macintosh College sounds straight and, out of blank check, dude. And it's like were, blank check dude, too. I have crazy stories, man. You have no idea the the wealth of nonsense that I have experienced. <laughs> but I was going to school there, and this kid Britt Britt Scalero, shout out Rosies, shout out Britt. He um he was going to Johnson and Wales had a had an academy there, but it was attached to this this community college and the dean of admissions was like taking kickbacks from like like the prison system and allowing like two time i literally googled this the other day because it's you know it's crazy but letting like multiple felons come and participate physically come and participate in this culinary school and like the the dorm situation was like an old like motel six that they had converted it was the most ratchet shit you've ever seen 
but me and my me and my boy Lavelle, this is past the statute of limitations. So like, but we were like hustling and like doing all of our things, you know what I mean? And uh, we get a knock on the door, at like five o'clock in the morning, and Lavelle's brother's girlfriend was going to like pastry, and she was leaving at like five a.m. She was like, "Yo, the fucking DEA is outside. Like, get all your shit and get out of here." So I like stuffed like a pound of twenties into like a backpack. And I'm literally walking down the walking down the hallway with like dudes with like ARs and like full face masks. And they arrested all these people that we were like hanging out with. And I was as I was leaving, I'll never forget, as I was leaving, I'm like watching this whole thing come down. I just walked by, I'm like, yo, good luck, guys. Like, I'm going to school. Like, I have no idea what's going on. You threw everything in like a jam sport? Dude, I threw everything in like a jam sport and then went to go see this this girl I was dating. <laughs> and at like the whatever campus and like literally like pounded on the glass like you gotta get out of class like right now went to her house like stashed everything and i went back because i had to grab the rest of my stuff and like see what what was going on it's like now it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and this dude taz and this other dude like what i sold to every day were like getting arrested on the corner and he's like screaming at me like yo white boy and i literally was like dude i don't see you because no one knew my name they all knew me as nori uh, no one knew what my name was no one knew what my first name was and he was literally screaming at me and like, if they were even asked to dude, I spell nori had, dude, like n-o-r-e no, they had no idea <laughs> no idea and i dodged a major major bullet uh, <laughs> yeah it was crazy town but anyway he ended up going brit ended up going to work at this at this hotel which is very famous like where we had our prom and stuff like that but it had just been taken over by omni hotel and property so they put a really big capital investment into it and they brought in, you know, millions and millions of dollars. They refabbed the whole hotel. Um, Bretton Woods is a very uh, famous ski area across the street. Bodie Miller, who was like a multiple gold winning skier, okay. is, from, is from there. They made him like the head of ski instruction and like gave him a Jeep or whatever. But they brought in like three um, just incredible chefs from the in a little Washington, which is um, – was like Michelin three star now, but always considered one of the best restaurants in the country. So were you, a, you were, a, you say you, you were officially enrolled in, in, uh, no, I was going to school. I was going to school for, for, um, like economics and like business administration, but, but I was always a cook. My, my job was Got always it. to cook. So my mom was a line cook. She worked at the train station. She worked at the ski area, like made chili, I used to go out, like hang out, eat French fries, help wash dishes. You so know. you were enrolled at the community college. I was enrolled at the community college that had nothing to do with culinary. And when I got kicked out of high school, I went to Job Corps for six months. Job Corps is like a federally funded program, like for municipal like, workers. Yeah, so like you learn a trade, but it was the same thing. It was like for like multiple convicted felons. So I went in there for like learning, like knowing a little bit about a little multiple bit. Multiple convicted felons and those who do not graduate high school. Hundred yeah. percent, and it was from sixteen to twenty four. So I was fresh 16. Yeah. Hanging out with 24-year-olds who were basically grown-ass men. And it was the same thing. It was like a hustle and like, you know, selling $5 J's. And that's where I learned about like rap and street culture because these kids were coming. My best friend Smiley at Job Corps was from LA. He was like straight crip, like his whole family. And he was like involved in like a drive-by shooting where like five people got killed. His mom sent him from LA to Vermont to go live with her sister and of course he got in trouble when he was in vermont and the next thing you know like we're in job court together i mean it was great it was crazy but i ended up meeting like you know 
there was all these different dorms and every dorm had its own identity you know there was like hippie kids um this dude aaron bird uh and his sister were like dude just bringing mushrooms and fucking lsd and like they were local to burlington and uh oh it's all about like dealing drugs but it was like no know, it's but about it's just, the lifestyle for sure, just the environment that i grew up in environment yeah, yeah it's the environment that i grew up in and formative years. So I was and how like, you became a cook. a cook. So I was going to school for welding, hanging out in like this certain dorm. So Job Corps, well, Job Corps uh, sent you in the direction of welding. Welding. Well, I'm really good at math. Okay. Um, that's where I got my GED. So I like passed the GED test in like four hours. And there was kids that had been there for like two years. And I was like, you know, this is crazy. So I'm really good at math. So they were like, you know, I was like, oh, I want to take welding. And because I had no direction or I had no whatever, every every opportunity was always like blue collar labor. Of course. It's always blue collar work. You never like, oh, I'm gonna go to school to be in finance and I you know wanna go like work for graduate a hedge, high school. We're gonna work for a yeah. hedge fund. You know, there's just no positive like real positive male role models. Everyone that I knew was like a mechanic or a fucking day laborer or like come you know whatever which are blue collar but could have a potential if you stick with it uh yes they were the most future. they were the well like the wealthiest people and that i knew you know that my mom would like play tennis with or whatever some of them worked in real estate but that didn't even like click to me i didn't even understand what that would be mm-hmm. it was like oh like you know he owns a construction company or like he's a mason you know so like you know he's got 10 guys that work for him he makes you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year well a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, it's like you can have whatever you want. You Literally. I mean? Like for real. Like you are, you know, you make really good money. Um, but even when I was in welding, I always kind of find myself because I like to eat. I'm a big guy. I was always finding myself going to the restaurant, checking out their culinary department. Because my mom was a cook. And that's kind of who I know. You know, and I was like, like, you know, there's like a pirate ship, dude. Like it's just a bunch <laughs> of, you know psychopaths dude that like kind of ended up finding that work that work was always for like the leftovers you know what which work less specifically oh kitchen work got it kitchen work like back of the kitchen work yeah like back of the kitchen work the welding was really cool and i could weld like i could lay a bead and i was doing like aluminum tig and like really like you know specific stuff because i have a really steady hand and a really good eye but i was 16 so i couldn't do anything i couldn't get certified in anything um, they had a school to work program, so I would like go like sandblast, like you know, pieces of piping and shit. Um, this was all, all in your the, late all, teens. Yeah, I was like sixteen, and in Job Corps. Then I got kicked out of Job Corps because I failed a piss test. But um, yeah, no, the welding was like, oh, isn't it crazy to think that you got kicked out of Job Corps because you failed a piss test, <laughs> and now you half the time you're walking down the street, people are just. Smoking, it's smoke, crazy. Smoking, you, it's crazy. Smoking jays legally, and you just smell legally, it everywhere. You gotta let everybody out of prison that's there on, yeah. on some on some some petty weed shit. Um, but as yeah, long as the petty weed shit is the only thing they're in for. I agree. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. But like, I mean, we're so far past that now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't even talk about the prison system. That's like a loaded thing. But Job Corps was like that. Job Corps was like you know it was a government funded program for misspent use. You know, convicted felons from 16 to 24 co-mingling in this old you know whatever like campus like outside of burlington vermont and it was crazy it was crazy when you think about it in hindsight and like if you really like deep dive in retrospect 
the fact that that's allowed to take place is like insane. Right. So that was 24 years ago. Oh uh, yeah. So, so now what happened between 16 and 25 that really kickstarted you I, into being a cook? I was around enough people. I was always smart enough to know that I wanted to make decent change because I just cause only because I wanted to be fly. The only reason I ever wanted to make, and I love when Kanye said that one time. It's like the only time, I, the only reason I ever wanted to do anything. Oh, shout out, I got the polo bear on. There shout you go. out, Kanye. But the only reason I ever wanted to make any money was just to like, like be able to buy a nice car, or have like a system, or to be able to have like some new sneaks, or like a Lacoste shirt, and that was like my as small as it was. Right, and not, and for you, because a lot of a lot of people listen and a lot of people look, hear that and they're like, oh, because you, you're trying to. You're trying to be flashy for other people, and no, you know, I was listening to uh, I was listening to a speech this morning, talking about you know every, people having these lofty goals of you know they want to have the nice car, they want to have the house, um, but why you need that for other you don't need it for other people to see it's because it's fucking nice. It's never I have never ever ever purchased anything ever in my entire life that I purchased because I wanted someone to give a fuck about it. That thought has never even crossed my mind. Yep. I buy things that I like because I like them and I work really, really hard so that I can afford them. And, and that's it. And I also love a great deal. It's my favorite thing in the world. Nor is so that Jewish? I, no, but I could be. Yeah. And actually it's funny because I kind never of look, you, you look like you could be Jew. Thank you. I appreciate that because I'm down with the tribe. A lot of my best friends are tribe and I, I have always, I don't know. My dad's last name is Neiman. Uh, you're Jew. But I swear You're telling to God, me your last name is Neiman. Yo, you're Jew. he told me. I never really met him. I mean, I really never met him. I met him once when I was 20. I asked him for cash. But he walked out. <laughs> I walked out when I was like a year and a half, two years old or something. Same but, here. Yeah, so I never One knew him. Yeah, so I never knew him. But I hit him up because I was like, yo, are you Jewish? And I hit him up when I, I think right before the baby was born because I was like feeling all these kind of feelings. And also fucking shame on him because drew is so amazing yeah and to not and for him to be the grandfather of this child and to have nothing to do with him forget about me dude you're missing out on the most special thing in the world so fuck that guy but you know it, it taught me a lot of life lessons but i was like yo are you like are you jewish i asked my mom is he like, still alive yeah he lives in new hampshire and actually my half sister because he had a whole other family and I have a brother and a sister. She like reached out to me on Facebook. I met her like last year. Her hey. name's Sarah. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Did she meet Drew? Yeah, she hey. came to the house. Yeah, she's a sweetie. It's weird because we talk on Christmas and like he's in the room. And I'm like, yo, tell tell Mark I said Merry Christmas. Tell Mark you know? I said Merry Christmas. And I actually have his middle name. It's the weird. Uh. <laughs> Dude, I was, like, I was like, mom, I was like, you're fucking crazy. But anyway... Neiman and I was like, "Yo, are you fucking Jewish?" And he's like, "No." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" Like, but yeah, I get down with the tribe big time. I get down with the tribe big time. But we segue. What we're we talking about? We were talking about you becoming a cook. We're talking about me becoming yeah. cook. So job core. Oh, and the time in between. So listen, I was like, you know, I was on drugs and like trying to like, you know, just like sell enough to support a habit. Well, and, like, give me a kind of give me the bridge from job core to uh, Fisher Island. Fisher Island's a golf course, which is not, amazing. Not Fisher Island. Well, no. Shelter Island. Give me, oh, give me. Long. Yeah, I lived in, yeah, I lived in give Connecticut. Me, give me, I followed a chick to Connecticut who I was who I was vibing. Give me ages because Job Corps started at 16. Give 16. Me. So 16, and then I went pretended to go back to high school for a little bit, and then I got kicked out of my house again. So then I was just kind of like doing whatever. 
pretending to go to community college, like 17, 18, 19, basically. Um, and then around 20 or so, I don't know, I, just, I like floated, dude, you know, I was just floating, um, couch surfing, like doing nothing. I mean, dude, I was, did nothing. I was a nobody, but I would just be in the kitchen, you know? How many but days a week were you in the kitchen? Oh, I worked, I worked five days a week for sure. But it wasn't until I started at the Mount Washington that when I was like, you know, you know, like 19 or so that I really like was like, this is what, you know, because it was the first time that I had seen real chefs. Like these guys were serious, you know, they're making real chefs. They had a big chef, white dude, chef hat for real. Calvin, who's still a mentor. Calvin so, sounds like a chef. Who I still talk to. Calvin Belknap. <laughs> shout out um, Culinary Institute of America. But him and this chef, James Dyer, who was from the Inner Little Washington, and this other guy, Eddie Sweats, which is a horrible last name, but great guy. Um, Eddie I, Sweats? That's not a nickname? No, his last name is S. That's like, like growing up in Queens. That's like That sounds like something that I would Dude, nickname one of my boys I'll tell you, who he, literally always has... Sweat pit dude, pit stains. He got into some fights growing up for sure. Of bro. That was brutal. But they were dude, they were there and they knew as a collective, you know, knew everything about food. But it was the first time that I'd seen it monetized. And like that's where like we held our like Kenneth held its prom, which I never attended, you hmm. know. I actually cooked for one because I would have been a senior technically maybe a year later, but I knew some kids that were graduating, you know? So it was an interesting time. But yeah, I mean, dude, I, I peeled potatoes and worked every station. I lived on property because it was like $35 a week. I mean, I lived in like a, you know, a bathroom basically. I mean, it was six by 12 or whatever, a little cot, but it cost no money. It cost like 35 bucks a week. So I lived there. Um, the place is famous for being like the most haunted place in the world, which was, which was wild. <laughs> but yeah, man, I just worked all the time and I went from being, you know, basically as as basic as you could be um like grunt uh, when i left I was one of the lead line cooks but it was dope because they had you know they had uh, uh the the arms which was like uh um much more kind of high-end fine dining boutique and they had stickney's which i spent a lot of time at making chili and and you know just great burgers and that kind of stuff so because it was a resort that had so many different outlets you were allowed i was allowed to see a ton of different food but I always ended up going back to the main dining room and, you know, do tea service. And, you know, it was much more sophisticated food. And then we had um, certified master chefs, which is like, uh, you know, the American Culinary Federation, which we all think are kind of nerds. Um, but that was like their top tier. Their top is, that, level. is that one university or they have a chain? American Culinary Federation is like the national, I don't know, like governing body kind of. Got it. You know, but it's like. I don't know. It's like nerd shit, you know, like, what like, would you uh, compare it to in another profession? Like the PGA of America okay. for like golf or something like that. Um, American music, like the people who pick the Grammys. I was just going to say like, they proclaim themselves as hundred percent. Like, you're like, dude, like that's not the album of the year, you know, yeah. like Kendrick's album. I love Kendrick. His album is an album. He won album of the year. Song record of the year rap. And I was like, yo, like future just got like pushed inside. And I was like, futures, yeah. you know, it was like, if you're into that, you know, like there was a much better, in my opinion, it was a much better. But then again, King's Disease isn't even on there, which is why I hate, and I can't even start talking no, about No, I mean, Grammys is all, po it's all political. For sure. Or it's like, you know, same thing in food, you know, like top 50 restaurants. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, what is that? What are you even talking about? And then some of them that make the list, you're like, dude, 
fuck no. Yeah. Like, no way. It's funny you're bringing that up because I'm reading the book from the old manager of EMP. Um, Will Gadara? Yeah. Well, he's not the manager. He was the owner owner, um, and, you know, the, well, drum, the drum beater. He... Yeah, so Unreasonable Hospitality. That's what I'm reading is, right is now. the name of his book, but he comes from the Danny Meyer school. and Which uh, I love. Yeah, same. But he, yeah, him and Daniel bought the restaurant from Danny. Um, but yeah, he, he, he changed. Wait, so he bought EMP from Danny Meyer? Yeah. So Danny, so that used to be, that used to be a, like a, like a steakhouse, like bistro kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And then you know they took it to to the penultimate three star, and it was cool because I was working at the Nomad um, under James Kent, who now runs Saga and Crown Shy downtown. He was the executive chef at the Nomad, um, which is another interesting story. I got a lot of interesting stories, um, but they were at the height of their powers, um, and I was a private chef for a billionaire for like three years. Um, and then I moved to the city and I went from like doing that work to like doing some small restaurant stuff to like making like 16 bucks an hour working at the Nomad. Right. But I want to hear about you being, cause I know the private chef story is pretty cool. Yeah. But you want to, you want to go further back? You can add all this stuff anyway. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we don't shelter Island. We don't edit it. We, we like, we love to get the, whole, right. the whole so, meat of the combo. Dude, this is getting deep. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just lived a lot of life. But basically, I moved to Connecticut because of a chick. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna bring you back for more stories. We can do it. I got so, dude. I have crazy stories on the boat. Crazy. I can tell you crazy shit. Tell me. (laughs) We're gonna leave that for a whole separate show. For sure. Just tell me about how you ended up on the boat. Well, I. Well, that's and then yada yada. You gotta do. You gotta. That's something else. That's dude. These are long stories, man. We gotta stick. We gotta stick in like this this segment. All right. Because I moved to Connecticut. But I moved to Connecticut and I worked at a big steakhouse called Max Downtown for the Max Group, which was like the local. This is when you were how old? 22. Okay. So I was living near a college campus, CCSU. Um, I was staying with um, my boy, Brandon Koopas. Shout out Coop. I had no money, you know? And um, Minus was 2005. Probably, yeah. Uh, Ed Hardy was just on the scene. Yo, for sure, dude. <laughs> uh, for sure. Koopas probably would have been an Ed Hardy hat. He's the flies. He's like the plug. Supreme, hidden. Like yeah. He's like, he, he is so into it. Um, and we still talk. But I literally, you know, I was staying in Franny's house at Coop's mom's basement. And I was like 22, 23. I didn't have a dime. And um, he used to go party at CCSU because it was like a mile down, the, mile down the way. Central Connecticut State where I met like some of my best friends that are still my best friends today, groomsmen in my wedding um, type of type of stuff. And um, where I met Tommy, who taught me to play guitar. My boy, Nat, natural who works. He's a big league at Comcast now. My boy, Chad, uh, who's a nurse, but just like we had the best time, the most fun together. But they were all going to college, and, like going to like get real jobs. Yeah. And I was like, cause that's what they were told. You know, to do. And I was like, that was, that was the for path sure, that you go on for sure. But kind of to fall back a little bit, we had the Certified Master Chef um, kind of expo at the Mount Washington. And they brought down Fritz Schoenenschmidt, who was like the head of the C- uh, Culinary Institute of America. Pronounce his name again? Fritz Schoenenschmidt. Guy was like 400 pounds, like five foot five. But like the master of charcuterie on crudes, pâtés. Do you remember him being uh, pleasant or was he pompous? No, they're all super nice guys. Okay. Super nice guys. I never met any... 
the only people that were ever psychopaths to me were dudes that were were the weakest ones always like they were compensating to the most dude like i've gotten a saute pan thrown on my head but it never became it never came from a real one it always came from a fucking never was right or pseudo has been or whatever you know always but when i saw those those things take place or when i was washing dishes at horse feathers and like dudes were like smoking bowls and drinking beers and hiding them in the pepper boxes you know what i mean when i saw that i always was like don't be that that was like the fuel the fuel for me to do anything was just like besides like wanting to be fly was like to not be like a fucking loser because the the culinary landscape was just littered and also this is not new york city right this is not where like food is seen as an art form and like you mm-hmm. can like stack dough this is like nowhere in New Hampshire where like guys are working, making steak and cheese sandwiches and they're like 45 years old. And if they were making $20 an hour, they were like killing it. This is like the most depressing thing in the world. Dude. Yeah. You know, and like you can't have a family. You can't like do that shit, you know. But, you know, when I worked at the, the, the Mount Washington, you know, I was like, you know, early 20s, 21, 22. But when I left there, we had this big certified master chef exhibit and they brought in like the best kids that were graduating from the CIA and there was no question that I would fucking lap them. You know, I could run circles around. Like there was no question, you know, because there's this idea of going to school, which I was always like, especially culinary school. Like you're going to pay someone 150 grand to fucking learn how to poach an egg, dude. Like, what are you insane? And what's your ROI on that? You know, like, cause the, cause they're, you're, you're learning a skill that you can learn on the job. And that when you leave this place, you're so indebted at such a, an incredible rate to that's, Fannie Mae that's, that's the system. or whatever. No, but it's 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 in my opinion, it's 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 uh, it's a failed system. It's but failed, no, but it's but it's failed def- intentionally. It's that's it's, it's well, it's, it's not a matter of they pitch them that they're going to teach them this, that they're going to teach them this and place them. You're going to go to this school because. We have a relationship where eighty-seven percent of our sure, students going, get placed. But you're not going to Harvard, dude. You're not going to UPenn. You're not going to work at a hedge fund. You're not going to work at Cornell, dude. You're going to work at whatever restaurant. Right, but a lot of 90 plus percent of these wannabe cooks are are betas. You can do the same thing. Right. Just go knock on the door. Right, but a lot of them are betas and they follow and they follow the, the lead to I have to go here so I can get placed there. I just think it's predatory because the ceiling is so low. You know, it's one thing to have a low mean? floor. Dude, you're not going to make, I make a very good living without being an owner and having like a super popular restaurant or whatever it is, catering company or whatever. Like I make a very good living and my living for the amount of knowledge that I've accrued, the amount of work that I've put in, the amount of time and energy that's been spent. And I know I've forgotten more than like most people know about their any given subject. It's so low comparatively where if I was, you know, my boy's an anesthesiologist, shout out Tom Lowe. But he's like a chef by day and like, but like he went to school, he went to culinary school, you know, realized it wasn't his path. He owns two restaurants now, Chi and Spicy, which are both fire Szechuan Chinese restaurants. Located. Um, Spicy is on, um, is in um, Forest Hills. Amazing. But Chi is their new spot. Big Endeavor on 39th uh, and 9th. Chi on Chi. 39th and 9th. Fantastic. Um, Tom is his chef. Another Tom is Tom Lowe and Tom Lee. 
Tom, the chef there, the executive chef, he's like one of the best Szechuan cooks like anywhere. But like, yo, they're just, you know, he makes so much money, more money being an anesthesiologist. And we have these conversations like, dude, if anyone would have just at some point just pointed you and been like, just go do that. Like the, the time and effort, whatever. I'm sure he's got a million dollar student loan for going to, you know, but his his ceiling is so much higher. Mm-hmm. Right. Like your entry level position is so much higher, which is why I took welding. Because dudes were like, yo, you can leave this, but you can go make 50 bucks an hour, which I think is a very good living, even in today's 50 economy. 50 bucks an hour is respectable. 100%. 100%. It's a good living. Like, that's real. And, you know, and I was like, but if you leave culinary school, you're you're starting at 750 dude. Mm-hmm. It's this, but you're you're learning the, the same criteria, basically. You're, you're, you're putting as much energy and effort into one thing as you would be to the other. They're both blue collar. They both are demanding. They both require yeah. certain touches and things. But a welder is going to, or an electrician or whatever, is going to make five times. But I don't, right. But I don't know the, the 5, 10, 15 year plan for a welder versus the 5, 10, 15 year plan for a cook. The burnout whereas... on a cook is the rate's way higher, mm-hmm. way higher. Because how long do you have to do it for? I don't know. I mean, I... Uh, you can be a welder in Oklahoma yeah. and have a work-life balance and make X amount of dollars and be a part of the union or whatever. But, like, there's no place other than New York City, maybe Chicago, where you're going to go and, like, really cut your teeth. And good luck making it here. Good luck living in who knows where, grinding to do who knows what. Well, that's why you work. have so many, uh, so many immigrants working in the kitchen. Because for them taking a lower salary, oh for um, sure, they're more than happy to take that. I mean, now it's you know fifteen dollars an hour, twenty dollars an hour. Well, and after I'm, COVID, it's like twenty is almost yeah million. right. Yeah. And I'm look, I'm thinking based on my uh, you know my partners who own Roses Pizza on Metro, yeah, on Metropolitan Williamsburg, um, their their workers are happy to work, and it's have your cousin come work because they are more than happy to work. Versus the Americans that but don't want not, to be on their feet and using their not, hands. But you're not going to go to culinary school to work at a fucking pizza place. No. no and there's no. a huge difference in that. So like I said, I mean, right. you can go to welding school and and work framing or doing some small stuff and you're still going to make a good living. You're not going to go to a culinary school and, and find yourself working at, you know, if you want to go work at Danielle, like that's fine, but you're going to be part of the masses, the masses downstairs, you know, you know, to be a chef and to try to make that work and make that happen and be a real success story and what you have to give up in order for that to take place, dude, it's like, you know, but I think that's what your, your 16 to 25 should be about, right? If you're if you're going to be cutting your teeth in anything, dude, that's what it should be about. If you have the direction, if you have the direction. If you have the direction, I had because... no direction. I just knew that I liked the kitchen, and my mom always told me. Well, no, you you did have the direction because you saw your mother doing it for years and years. Yeah, for sure. But you know, like I said, but she did other stuff. I mean, that was like her part time gig. But there's no real direction, in in the sense of like having the conversations that you're having now. You know. It wasn't something that I loved to do. I enjoyed it, but I just loved. I loved the. Uh, uh, if you got to do something you enjoy, that's a lot so, more than a, a lot could say. It's a win, but also like I feel like I'm a success, and there's a sea of of knots. 
Like you're still only forty. I'm only forty, so you I'm still going. A lot, lot, of, lot of years to go. A lot of years to go, but you really look at it from like I said. I'm super happy and blessed, and food has been so good to me. Um, and then I feel like it's why one of the reasons why I continue to do it, although I don't think I'm as valuable in in, in another market or haven't made myself so. Um, right, but maybe in the coming years you'll do something in the market that's a little more niche. Oh yeah, no, for sure. There's definitely things in the work, like, like Nori's noons. Yo, Nori's ready. noons. You come up with your own macaroons. <laughs> ready, I'm ready. But I'll have no, my guy run the ecom for sure. No, there's definitely things uh, on the catering side of it, and some things that I'm really excited about in the future. I'm just we're just kind of like talking about life as a whole, and I think it's just one of those things where if anyone were to tell you how hard it is, you would just be like, no, dude. Like, it doesn't interest me. There's this naivete and there's, like, this youthful exuberance that, like, you you can't replicate and money can't buy for sure. But that, like, you know, I always just gravitated to that world because um, it was, like, you know, waitresses and, like, that kind of vibe. And, you know, everyone was kind of like a, a meddling, you know, pseudo-drug addict. And, but then you had the actual cooking and you had the rush of service and you had the excitement of making people happy. Um, and the feedback that came from that and the feeling like you did a really, really good job. Um, that was always a really great. And the feeling that you leave the people that you fed feeling, the feeling that you try uh, to cure impose on them. Yeah, for sure. And that's where the whole hospitality aspect comes into it. Absolutely. And it's something where in the kitchen you can't, you know, I'm a long winded and a big talker, but not everyone's like that. You know, I kind of operate like a major D in a sense where. I have that front of the house, you know, can shoot this shit with anybody kind of vibe. That je ne sais quoi. For sure. And of course, you're asking, questions the restaurant. About, you're asking me questions about myself and I love to talk about myself, right? As everybody does. So I think that's, you know, but when you're cooking, you, you don't have that interaction, right? Until I was a private chef. Um, but you're always in the back. You're always behind the scenes. But you express like this love and this care and this concern um, for people. Um, and I think cooks are really caring people. Food is, you know, people that make food. I definitely, like Bourdain says, I think they, you know, um, you know, play for the angels, you know, they, uh, there's just something about it. And that's how always how I felt was the right or wrong. And the masochistic insanity that was like the fucking, you know, the eighty this guys from the seventies and the eighties and the nineties who are still in, in control. That stuff that you, you would never exist in today's workplace that was like par for the course, you know, there's something to be said of how it, you know, manipulates your, your thoughts and your opinions and your feelings about certain things. Something was overcooked, you know, which is why I had a saute pan thrown on my head, but it was like, dude, a fucking animal died for that. Yeah. You know, there's like this cook's conscious thing that comes into play. Um, and like, you don't even know what food is because America is so, removed from what food actually is compared to other countries you know compared to other cultures and like how they get down which i think travel and, and seeing the world is so so important but like dudes like you don't even know what food is you don't even know what this comes from you don't even understand the hows and the whys um and, and why this works and for me those are all such seminal learning points you know yeah and whether it be like killing a pig or like shooting a deer and like breaking that thing down and being like yo like this is so now not only are we are we involved in this process of, of of taking a life to eat for your own sustenance, but you know, why 
you know, I think cooking is one of the great arts because it uses all five senses, but like <laughs> you're, 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 you're curating something and you're building something off these raw materials that has the ability to bring such joy in a way that I think is, is really, really special, very interesting and only kind of to itself. So there's a lot of gratification in that. In that so picture. we're going to bring you back. <laughs> We went deep. Yeah, yeah, we went deep. We went uh, deep. You defined long-winded, which I fucking love, <laughs> and I know that you got stories upon stories. Crazy. I need to hear about. We're, I need to hear. Everybody needs to hear about the boat story. Oh, so many boat stories. Um, but uh, let's just leave it with right now. Just give me a a quote to live by, and uh, you know, one word of advice on how to make it in New York. Uh, carpe diem, man. Seize the day. You know, we're, I, I just had my fortieth birthday. And if I'm lucky, I'm halfway there, you know, so don't let a moment pass by um, really, you know, chase, chase after every opportunity and try to grind it out and make it your own. Um, and shout out NYC. Who else would you rather be? Brian Nori. <laughs> we're going to have him back. Yeah. Much love. Thank you for the time.